Hello and welcome to the Two Medics podcast. My name is Theresa Goodwardner. I'm a cardiology registrar subspecializing in intervention. Hi, my name's Beth and John. I'm a GP trainee, ex neurosurgery trainee, specializing in everything and nothing, and definitely not intervention or cardiology. Absolutely you not. <laughs> you make it sound so unpalatable. But it no, it's really not that. Means... It's just, it's, I think it's just too bloody clever for me. Yeah. Oh, no, I don't know about that. Do you think Imran, a little blast from the past, Imran, I don't know if you remember, there was this guy, uh, Imran Nasker. Rings who, a bell. Uh, yeah. Radiologist, bell. yeah. Radiologist, really annoying. Anyway, he tweeted today with a little clip where he compared, I don't know, there's a video, I can only assume it's homage, because why wouldn't it be? And there's a video of some seagulls trying to collect a biscuit. Did you see this? Two no, seagulls. I've not seen this. I'm just looking so at it. So they fly, they're flying from a great high and they're both going to pick up these biscuits. And one of them nails, nails it, grabs that biscuit and flies off like perfectly. This other seagull fluffs the landing, misses the biscuit and topples over sideways. <laughs> and he's written interventional radiology versus interventional cardiology. Oh, and I think he'd left it on purpose. He'd left it open-ended, but I think. We all know which way round it is, obviously. Anyway, I, was just, I just thought it's a little bit retro to talk about someone from the distant past. So there you go. <laughs> but, yeah, it's so long ago. If you That's remember. so funny. Is he still following funny. the money, I assume? But He always is. It never stops. <laughs> it never um, stops. I need to like, I'm sure that he'll be interested in doing like another. We should do like a kind of big episode, maybe before Christmas. I'm yeah. sure he'll be up for it. That would be um, good. It's always quite busy. But I'm sure he like listens in. And he was just making himself name today with a little kind of nod. Just but, here, guys. I'm still here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but before we get on to the meat and bones, we should shout out our sponsors at scrubs underscore UK, S-C-R-B-S underscore UK. That's because they put you in scrubs. They have a new line of excellent looking scrubs. There's a new set, new design and new colors available. So there's surgical blue, a dark blue and a green. They look awesome. They are comfortable, practical, very durable scrubs. They're perfect for doctors, nurses, allied health professionals, vets, anyone who's in a clinical setting, do check them out. And if you use our promo code, which is 2medics10, T-W-O-M-E-D-I-C-S-10, you'll get 10% off. So treat yourself. Treat yourself. They actually feel so nice. And I think that's like whole sensory side of like neurodivergency, I think can be so troublesome. But these, um, I was like, just so soft and cool and yeah. like pajamas aren't they they literally yeah. are and they are, and it's like that thing like they just look decent and your crotch is now is not hanging down by your knees you haven't got that <laughs> yes. like huge Very v-neck important. exactly but you know that huge v-neck that you get sometimes in those oversized scrubs where it just goes down to like your belly button and you just yeah. dare not lean over it's just it's such a novelty like not to have that so yeah definitely recommend yeah. them i like doing the last my last lab list, they had a funny way of draping the patient where it appeared to like funnel basically uh, fluid. And by fluid, I mean, right? Yeah. And it just each, after each case, I'd have to change my scrub trousers because I basically have blood on my you were shoes. You covered, yeah. And yeah. And I think, I'm glad I didn't wear them that day. I didn't, I tend to not, I wouldn't yeah. wear them for lab days anyway, but I'm glad I didn't wear them. Yeah, they should be kept the best for like <laughs> the least patient contact days, which is yeah, ironic, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, I quite like them for my nights because I kind of that's feel like they fit with the comfy kind of vibe. So that's why I tend to wear them. I was never, are you a fleece person on nights? Do you wear fleeces? Some people walk around yeah. with fleeces. Fleece or a hoodie. Started doing that. Yeah, mm. fleece or a hoodie or yeah, like a zip up hoodie or whatever. I just, it's something like cozy and warm about that on nights, I think sometimes. 
I do, do the long sleeve top underneath as well, actually. I see. Okay. Do you have a particular, do you have a choice sweater for it? One for it that you have special? Uh, yeah. On the whole, I do have like gray zip up. That would be like my norm, like my go-to. I know the Americans right. are like big fans of like Patagonias, aren't they? Which I really want because oh, I'm just a sucker. But they, but yeah. like <laughs> they are all embroidered with like they work and stuff as well, isn't it? But yeah, yeah I just have you like this generic H&M hoodie that just seems to be like quite oversized. That I can put the hood up and just like ignore that there are other people around. <laughs> just fair enough. But yeah, what yeah. about you, man? No, so it's only really something that I started to do recently because that this hospital is a bit cold. So I've just I was, I was like, on your old bones. Yeah, I know. Like oh, and just <laughs> especially if there's a kind of semi coming in the night, you have to meet the ambulance, and often that means you come out, you go outside, and then I just can't cope. And sometimes I've walked inside, and then the ambulance crew have been like stood outside, being like, "What's going on?" And I'd be like. It's just too cold. Can you just come just, inside? Yeah. Just, I'll die so, if I leave the hospital. Yeah. Please, yeah. Sir, please. But so, no, I feel like the whole temperature regulation on nights, it just goes out the window anyway. Because yeah, I feel like I'm either absolutely sweating my ass off or freezing cold. Like there's no in between. Yeah. And everything is just grim. Like everything, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Well, but like what, a fleece will make it a little bit more bearable. You always get one sore. I've got to say it's usually anesthetics who wears one. That has their like medical school class of whatever. Oh and yeah, stuff. or levers. What do yeah, you think about? Yeah, <laughs> yeah anas- anesthetic. No, no, I'm not a fan because I'm just jealous. I don't have any of those <laughs> things. Yeah, didn't really integrate myself with the medical school and that kind of stuff. But right, yeah, it's. Nice. I, I used to have one of those like in COVID. We had this whole spurt of NHS fleeces. We'd get like a little rainbow embroidered on them and stuff. Mm-hmm. I had one of those. That, I don't know. I'm like one of those people that just ends up, excuse me, like taking stuff on. And before I knew it, I was working in Pete's neurosurgery at the time. And then suddenly I was tasked with getting them for the whole department. And oh. I suddenly had this like order for 50 hoodies. And I was like, shit, this is not. Oh. When I said I wanted one, I didn't want to also order 50 more. Yeah. And I just had this, my, my house was like a sweatshop. But yeah, I used to <laughs> wore that to death because I yeah, lived in when it was like COVID. And everyone right. had those like hoodies and things. But. Yeah, we ha- we did have our names and our hospital embroidered on those actually at the time because it was free, and I thought, oh, that's fancy. So where's it now? Oh, it's it? proper. I think it it got they weren't that good quality. It just got so bobbly and faded no, that yeah, it just started to look like disheveled. So <laughs> it's like it lasted yeah, that yeah, long long time ago. Yeah, fair enough. I find that things probably do get bobbled and faded. I never, I can't quite bring myself to throw stuff away until it's actually got like a hole in it like falling then I apart, find, yeah. yeah literally and i'll wear wear it until it's just like falling apart but then what will happen is it'll just disappear one day yeah and i'll be like where is it where is that i'll think as like, joe oh, done the thing? dirty she's yeah, like thought Jen yeah he needs to get over this yeah, so the top i'm and... wearing now is currently one of those types so it's it's a top that i had to buy as an emergency in disney world when i was there earlier isn't that so funny how that happens I it's know. like it's, it's the ones purchase. that you never yeah, wanted to buy but i think i can't remember yeah. what it was oh that this is what happened so i was wearing a white t-shirt and went on a water ride and got soaked and then obviously it was right. like see-through and i was like okay this is the family <laughs> park i need to go <laughs> and rectify this situation and the shop that I was looking at, like, it really had, like, minimal things. Either it had something with, like, princesses on it, which I didn't really want at that time, mm. or this, like, wicked tie-dye, like, number. Oh, and, yeah, was... and I was just, I have to buy this. And it was cost a bloody fortune as well. But then since I've come home, it's become, like, my go-to comfy, like, security top. Yeah. yeah. It's strange, isn't it? The ones isn't that you never wanted. 
Yeah, totally. exactly. Yeah, Passed yeah. by, and then it's ah, oh, there you go. I saw you. Yeah, nice one. Absolutely. Yes, yeah, so it's the universe that made you see through and stuff, and then yeah, exactly. They, they drew me towards this tie dye top, exactly. yeah, this psychedelic one, yeah. So we've got a mixture of stuff of content, and as usual, you, you mentioned it last episode, and we do tend to end on the kind of more positive, probably no medical kind of vibes. Yeah, but there's some great. Everyone's sanity, right? So we'll we'll drag them down, but then we'll lift them up. We'll elevate yes, them at the end. We'll break you down, yeah. We'll break you down first. Yeah. And with that in mind, the first topic is me bringing people down as usual. Where, Not that we're biased, um, that we just include no. our own tweets and nobody else's. <laughs> yeah, self-promotion. But it's really <laughs> bugged me recently. I said, and I think, so there's lots of kind of chat and it's in Doctors UK, the subreddit on Reddit. But you're also seeing it on Twitter, usually from an accounts. Because it's a thorny subject, which is that of international medical graduate. And the reason why it gets my go is that it's based in, a lot of it is based in what seems to make sense in these people's heads. Not backed by much in the way of evidence. It's yeah. just like Because I've, I've seen no evidence for this type of stuff. Like, I'm not sure that there's any numbers or whatever that have been published to say that, like, international medical graduates are taking most of the training posts. Like, I just generally... Yeah think that doesn't exist it's not a thing. yeah and the problem and i think one of the things that gets me is that there isn't one single best answer for this there are a number of different answers for each of the different points and that's what makes it quite difficult particularly on twitter to address them wholly and so then you end up just having this circ this like circular argument where they say this thing, what about this thing what about this thing and you answer each one and then you're back at the original ones and this got it's a, a, a common topic but it started with someone posting on Doctors UK saying, I've noticed that there are fewer, like, locum gaps. Like, it's harder to find locum work. Is there any, can anyone think of reasons why that might be? And, of course, the knee-jerk answer to that was, this is the comment that I copied in. Remember when you were like, if you allow everyone in the world to come to the UK and work as a doctor, it's going to have a potentially negative impact on wages and bargaining power for doctors in the UK? Perhaps we should go back to the system we had in 2019, or as is in every developed country in the world. And then this person said, and then mid Twitter said, you're an effing xenophobic racist piece of shit. IMG support our NHS. There can be no negative side to suddenly increasing the supply of medical graduates to potentially millions of people. Fuck racism hashtag. So there's so many things wrong with this that I think that's what kind of gets me annoyed. Yeah. To get on my high horse, like one, I guess, it's, as you say, the evidence in terms of, wasn't it the guy who is the, shit, I'm going to have to cut this bit out. The guy who, who posts a lot about being an SAS doctor. Oh, Rob, Rob. Somewhere. And, uh, fuck. What is his name? I'll cut out the gap. Rob Fleming. Yeah, that's it. So Rob yeah. Fleming has done, has um, posted loads about this. And he's shown that lots of IMGs do end up going towards kind of specialist associate type jobs, clear employed. Yeah. And they don't just immediately go to taking up training numbers. Furthermore... But also, they... but to be fair though, if they are qualified for applications for those training numbers, like, how is that any different from people who are trained in the UK going to Australia or New Zealand and applying for training there? Like, why is that okay, but the other way around it's not? That's exactly. what I just don't understand. Yeah, that's like another point. And then the third point is that surely 
when we talk about work being so busy and understaffed and stuff, that's when you're like begging for, when for every yes. kind of locomship, there is a team of like doctors who are like, this is really hard. There's a gap here. We need support. That's what they're feeling. So yeah. complaining that there isn't a demand that people aren't desperate is yeah. like another thing. And then there was actually someone else responding saying that the, the number of IMGs hasn't actually gone up. But what's happened now is uh, one of the effects of the BMA strikes is that they've been, trusts have been spending so much money in locum work for that, that they're understandably trying to tighten their belts. But all that stuff is just thrown by the wayside. Because yeah. like people have, and then they just go down the circular thing. Oh, like there's more of them. They're driving down wages, which is stuff that you'd see people talking about from UK. It's also, like it's proper like ago. Tory right wing behavior. Like almost it's like amazing. anymore. And it's bordering into that fascist kind of, it's just, it's bizarre. And I think, I think people are feeling a bit pissy because they had this whole notion in their head of, oh, I'm going to do F1, F2. Then I'm going to look them and I'm going to earn loads of money. Like that, that's your, I'm not saying it's not wrong to make the market and get paid what you're worth, but also loads of people are doing that now because pay and cost of living is so dire. This is why there's probably more competition because you just can't bank on that. Like the whole premise of locum work is that it is unstable. It's just as and when, and it's just where you're needed. So to think that you're entitled and to also then the other caveat from that is that if people are all locoming or going abroad for a bit and then when they come back to the UK and they want to enter into training, suddenly mm. the, the competition ratios are higher. And it's not just because there's international medical graduates looking for those jobs. It's because there's people who've been out of training, locoming abroad and coming back and they want them now. And whether that's a thing like mm. post-COVID, I don't know if that's increased and stuff, but I just think it's just so narrow-minded and, and very much, oh, not in my backyard behavior that just really exactly. like, negates the whole like issue. Like, why does it have sure. to go down to this all the time? I think, I, sorry, I can't get past the fact that it's just so stupid. And then people are just like immediately think, oh, there's so many of them. And then they just flood it and the wages will go down. And it's literally just like GCSE student like level of thinking when there are actually just so many like more complicated explanations. Yeah. And it's... And this is where they'll be like Occam's razor or whatever, and they'll use that incorrectly. Um, yeah. The thing is, it is actually complicated. And just because it makes sense in your head, it doesn't overwhelm the fact that there's evidence to the contrary. So come on, move on, yeah. guys. But yeah, and then people were saying that if there's if there are all these intermediate graduates that are, they're also complaining that they're not very good. And then they're getting training numbers over you. Something's not quite yeah, fitting, isn't it? That's, yeah, that's, they probably are better than you. So let's, yeah, let's just say that. But that's yeah. the thing. And, and I think people, so posts like that on Reddit that make out like international medical graduates have the best time that they can just come to the UK and just walk into training posts. Whereas we also know full well that people who are non-white, who have trained abroad, get so much more kind of unfairly reprimanded and investigated and dealt with when it comes to our regulators and stuff. And yeah. Rosie made Rosie Barua made a good point this week about there was this Tory guy in the news, wasn't it, who racked up like tens of thousands of pounds in data charges when he was abroad. And he came under some sort of investigation for that. And it turns out that he said, Oh my I my son used my iPad to watch football when we were on when we were on holiday. So I'm just looking at the article now. It was actually £11,000 worth of data roaming charges that he'd racked up and then tried to bill to his expenses as a, as a government kind of employee or whatever. And Rosie just made the good point of 
if this was a brown doctor rather than the Scottish Health Secretary, who it was, a white middle-aged gentleman, had been liberal with the truth about using an official work iPad for streaming football matches and incurring a five-figure bill, how lenient would the GMC be, do you think? And that goes mm. back to that kind of situation with Dr. Aurora. That's just one. She was an, an Asian GP who kind of got suspended and investigated because she said, oh, my work promised me a laptop. And they said that that was her being un, like dishonest and things. And yeah, as well, kids. It's like, why it was they, like, and they yeah. showed, And they went nuts over a choice of wording, wasn't yeah. it? Which is amazing. But then we should, I should say, this guy, as much as we hate Tories, he's from the Scottish National Party, which I don't think are Tories. But yeah. we still hate Tories. But yeah, yeah, might as well exactly. be a Tory. Yeah. yeah. yeah if, you're gonna bill, if you're going to bill all that money, yeah. You may as well. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Some Tory behaviour. Moving on, there was a tweet from Liam Barker. Do you want to read it? Do you want to do that because you do the yeah. accent? Love. My anxiety dreams used to be about my A-levels. So I'm going to go back to normal now because, yeah, that was very accurate. That's what I assume that's what Liam sounds like. I will double check yeah. him. But yeah, yeah. so he was, he's commenting about anxiety dreams, which I thought was quite funny. So he was saying that his anxiety dreams used to be about his A-levels, but now they revolve around him being a junior doctor and him having to go to the radiology consultant and justifying a load of ridiculous requests that do not meet any normal guidelines. So he obviously, he's not a junior doctor anymore, but yeah, that's that. That's obviously like such a formative experience, like a traumatic time for yeah. him. That's what like memories. In, ingrained in his dream networks forevermore, absolutely. Yeah. I think that's surgical F1, just standing outside with a 42 CT request. Please, for, sir. Yeah. The CRP went from 4 to 12. Oh my God. Because my consultant um, said. Said so, exactly. Yeah. Do you have any medical-related anxiety dreams? I get a few. I used to get. I used to get them about missing important test results and stuff. Hmm. And then that all stopped. And I think that was me realizing that I was burned out and stuff. But okay. it, more now it's to do like anxiety. My anxiety dreams are around like, like being in the wrong place at the wrong time. And it's that. like sometimes I'll just wake up in the middle of the night and like suddenly forget how to tell the time. So I like I look at my mm -hmm. clock or my watch. And to me, it feels like, oh, my God, it's nine o'clock in the morning. I'm late for work and I'll start panicking. But then when, like, I engage my brain, I'm like, oh, no, it's 2.30. Like, what the hell are you thinking? Yeah, yeah, because it's just yeah. that feeling of, obviously, I must have been dreaming of something up until that point. And then yeah. you just, like, I just hate being late and stuff. Like, I just hate yeah. that. So that's what most, most of mine about at the minute. Do you, what, do you have any or? I, I think mine are related to, still about exams, but like finals usually having not prepared or gone to the wrong place for the exam or turning up to work with no clothes on or no trousers. Yeah. Like we were like talking to someone and you've been like there for just, a little while. You notice a draft. It's like, it's quite chilly yeah, here like, today. Sometimes that happens in real life though. Like where I'm at work and I'm walking in, I'm like, oh my God, am I wearing trousers? I have to like yeah. look down. Because yeah. I'm like, I don't remember putting trousers yeah. on. No, I do the same with a bra. I assume you don't have that. But sometimes I feel like sometimes... Why would you assume? No, but so I should never assume. I do apologize. You do have very <laughs> yeah. large breasts, but that, never yes, mind. Yes, that is true. Um, but no, but this is the thing. And I think I hate, I always wear a bra, but I think girls know that it can be quite uncomfortable sometimes, especially when it's all day. And I'll sometimes just be feeling quite comfortable and thinking, oh my God, am I not wearing a bra? And it's like, I have to check. <laughs> and then I realize that I am. And I don't know what made me think that. But just funny what you were saying about having anxiety dreams about finals and things. I just remembered that, I've never had an anxiety dream about that. And I think it's because I pretty much did that in real life. Like it, it was a thing for me. 
So I remember I was, I, I don't know how this happened because I'm always like so early. I'm one of those people that will just turn up early because I'm just panicking that I would just right. miss something. And they, I must have, one of my finals, I don't know what it was. I thought I'd set my alarm and then just woke oh, up no. to a phone call. And it was one of my friends who was saying, oh, like, why aren't you here? I was just like, I don't know what you want about. And she said, it's 10 to 9, the exam starts at 9. So I yeah. literally just in my, still had my pyjamas on, threw like my bloody raincoat over the top and just printed to the exam oh hall where it was um, and made it in time. I like, was like sweating and sat this exam, yeah. like practically in my pyjamas. But and I just think, did that? beat it out of me that I would like never have that anxiety dream because it happened and it was fine like I don't yeah I don't know but oh god it's horrible it's it's just such an unnatural horrible situation isn't it yeah it's good to know that we've got that shared experience of experiencing that kind of weird throwback to being vulnerable and a kid so talking about weird though this is like this this is next level I don't even Weird. know how to introduce this. Do you want to tell them? So I was quite proud of my tweet that was like, every hole is not a fact a goal. And I don't know if <laughs> just from that so, alone, you should, of course, everyone should know what we're referring to. But this was an American, surprise, surprise. Sorry if we have any American listeners. And also happy Thanksgiving because today is Thursday, the 23rd of November. But there was at Army EM Doc. It was just like, I assume this was real. So we posted a yeah. photo of a gentleman who's quite clearly poorly. So the photo was just of his head. He's, his eyes are closed. I'm assuming he's unconscious. He's got a Goodell, an oropharyngeal airway in his mouth. And then there's a, a nasopharyngeal airway, an MPA in both nostrils. And the caption says, your first intubation attempt failed. You have to bag the patient back up before you go to plan B. This is what your patient should look like with three bloody airway adjuncts in. It's far easier to bag when you've double-barreled their nose and placed an oropharyngeal airway. Now, it's safe to say that British anaesthetists rinsed, absolutely rinsed this gentleman, kind of implying, like, WTF. Like, what is that? But this guy just was literally would not back down, and he was getting so derogatory about Europeans and how we were losing our shit and stuff, to the point where he then actually... Did a follow up post of where he'd inserted a nasopharyngeal airway into himself, and was just like, "What are you trying to, what are you trying to prove apart from that you're literally like batshit crazy?" Even just from posting that patient's photo in the first one, that I thought was like AI because it just didn't look natural, it didn't look real. I just don't get it. I just don't get it. And then I love the, the replies, though, too. UK people, they were like, you guys in your ivory towers. And people would be like, I work in Lincoln. Yeah, that was it. You, everything you was an guys. ivory tower to this guy, I wasn't know. it? Yeah. Uh, has this guy been to Ipswich? No. <laughs> I literally just get to this ridiculous. Yeah. I just made it. was just amazing. Um, but the good thing was that it was a nice tonic to everything else. It brought us all online. together Everyone again, like, didn't it? This is crazy. I feel like the American stories have a habit of doing yeah. this. So it was like there was that one about on the plane, wasn't it? And they okay. they, they had a vase of eagle, and he was trying. This gentleman doctor from America was trying to imply that it was like they had an arrest. And I feel like UK med Twitter came together once again and was like, "Mate, that was yeah. just a faint." Um, and I feel like we all reunited on this as well. And 
Matt, yes. uh, Neuro Matt, Matthew Evans, he just said, like, this is the glory, this is what the glory days of Twitter, this is what we can get reunited over once again. Yeah. It's, it's funny how stuff like that happens because you can't predict what those Americans to do next, but you just know that they will go big and they'll go hard and they won't stop going hard. Yeah. And, and that's just, it's just, it's just yeah. a complete antidote. Thesis yeah, to like it is. How you came at yeah, Twitter it is. is. It, it so. really is. Have you have you ever done something a procedure on yourself? This gentleman's inserted an NPA on himself. Have you ever done anything like that, or let people practice on you, or oh, like do... at, yeah, at med school we used to let we used to we they, we had a day where people were practice cannulating each other, oh. and someone I let a friend who was very attractive practice a blood gas on me. But that was just like once, and I'm never going to do that again. Yeah, I've let oh, someone do cried. blood gases. Yeah, that was. Can so, you? Yeah. yeah, it's just. I've let yeah, there. bloods, cannulas, blood gas. I've let people have a little go, and then we've done. I feel like it's tip for tat's the wrong phrase, but just works both ways, kind of thing. But there was this yeah. one time. So when I was, I had to do some ENT as part of my neurosurgery training, and I went Where to this, this emergency ENT course. No, it's not. I just can't believe that this happened. So on this emergency ENT course, it was like for SHOs to do with if you were on call for ENT this would tell you how to deal with emergencies and it was running a local hospital and I think they must have had like spare spaces on the course because then for some reason one of the doctors was the parent of a sixth former and she went to her kid's school and was like oh there's some places left on this course that if anyone's interested in studying medicine like they can come along but it was completely out of it was not appropriate for 16 17 year olds when we were literally there it was like SHO's junior edges having to learn how to deal with like ENT emergencies anyhow some of these 16 year olds turn up and then you have different stations and one of them was like flexible nade endoscopy so you put obviously the little camera into your nose and then they have a look yeah. down into the oropharynx and stuff and the guy was like asking for a volunteer and nobody was offering and I didn't volunteer and he just must have caught my eye and was he was an ENT consultant and he was like oh do you want to have a go and I just thought yeah whatever so he did it and he was explaining and showing to people and these six formers were there just obviously didn't have a clue what was going on, but just have probably made up to have a day off school. And then yeah. the guy was like, so who wants to go? And I <gasps> thought it was just going to be like other people could practice on other people. And he was like, no, oh, like, yeah, literally. And I was like, what the hell? And then he got these, he even said to the sixth formers, 16. oh, go oh. on. And I was like, no way. My nose was so raw after the first or second person. I was like, F this shit. Yeah, yeah. I paid for this course. I am no not, more. this is not my, this is not my bag. But I just yeah. thought it was just such a weird well, time. And when goal. I saw that, yeah, exactly. When I saw that MPA guy. It just took me back and I just thought, oh my God, like anything in my nose. Like flashbacks. Yeah, totally. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I was like, what? And I feel like I always end up in these ridiculous situations. Like they just that don't is... happen to other people. But it's no, always. No, that doesn't. That is ridiculous. But can that I say my, my kind of, my nasal passages and my oropharynx were like anatomically pristine. Yeah. I was, wow. Yeah. But like, yeah, he probably paid you like that comment, and you were like, "Okay, yeah. all right." Then. <laughs> oh, look at those turbinates, and I'm like, "Oh, they're beautiful." <laughs> Honestly, you lost you lost me at the jargon, but I see. <laughs> Think it's something to do with noses. Um, oh yeah, fair enough. Ben Lavelle did a nice little thread on being a medreg, and I retweeted it. I was I saw this and I was like, "Oh, this is gonna be interesting." 
And he said, I've noticed that there are many myths about the Medridge role thrown around both on Twitter and in real life, presented as absolute truths. People are making career decisions or living in mortal dread of being the Medridge based on these myths. The skew is clearly towards the negative and counterpoints are rare, non-existent. I have put together eight common myths about being the Medreg, based on my experience of seven years as a Medreg, and both working alongside and training Medregs as a consultant. So number one, Medreg has to be an extrovert or loud. He goes, I'm not. The best Medreg I ever worked, I ever worked with was when I was an F1. Didn't say much, spoke quietly when she did. She was amazing at patiently teaching, carefully organizing the work and being a calm and zen-like center of the tape team. And he, talk, he goes on to talk about quiet leadership. And then he said, number two, everyone hates being a Medreg. And he said he didn't. And he knows a few people that didn't, nice one. And then uh, three, there is no training at all as a medridge. This is a weird one for me because undoubtedly the greatest transformation and progression I went through in my whole career was as medridge. Yeah, it was a t- yeah, it was the time with the least amount of classroom teaching compared to F1 to SD2. That's like proper on the job learning though, isn't it? When you hit that registrar level, I feel like you just have to learn quickly and you're just exposed to everything and you but you have that responsibility as well that makes you think that makes you like think more on your feet you have less people to ask for help because you are the one one of the ones that people are asking for help yeah yeah it's like that phrase where you think you don't realize you're an adult so you're gonna you're gonna go and speak to a more adult dear adult to like ask for advice but it's true i think for me anyway I think your attention or my level of attention anyway changes when you know the buck stops with you. Mm. And I think there is something to be said for like passively watching someone else doing it, knowing that you don't, because you don't consider every facet because you're not completely putting yourself in their There's shoes. Until you're in the in their shoes. Totally. And so I d- there, is, there is an element of truth to that. I have, anyway, the Medridge has to know everything about everything and said, no, the Medridge should know how to access the best treatment for the patient, either by knowing where to look it up or which specialist to ask for an opinion. The base bedroom should know how to correct basic physiology. And he said, five, the bedroom has to say no to as many ref- referrals as possible. I definitely thought that, actually, when I felt the consultants would look back on you favorably if you were seen as a bit of a war. And that was something I found very difficult to let go of. And what else do you say? The Medridge is just stuck to the phone computer all day. You can run your take like that if you want. You don't have to. It's not much fun. If I got up and moved around, I noticed three things. The shift runs faster. I actually got to practice some medicine and I got way enough bleeps and therefore spent way enough time with the phone. Being visible in um, meant that fewer bleeps got replaced with a quick face-to-face. Uh, seven, you're completely on your own. The buck stops with you. Yeah, I think that's probably a bit untrue. But there's always someone you could call. He said that was going to be eight. Oh yeah, eight. You can't make a difference. The system is a mess. You can. I promise you every doctor remembers one amazing red reg. They always roll, you work in an extraordinary position in that you get to set the tone and culture of your team for the day. That is true. Yeah. Seeing patients in the first few hours of their admission means that you sometimes have more impact on their entire hospital experience than anyone else during their inpatient journey. I was thinking more of the impact you have on the junior doctors, but yeah, that's also true. Yeah, it's, it's, it's something like there's something like really like camaraderie about when you do the, those medical take shifts or like when you're do the post take on A&E for medicine or you're on MAU and it's you maybe as a medical SHO, the med reg, and you're just like working together and there's a couple of F1s that are around as well. And it's that, it's, I feel like it's the most where, apart from in working in theatre and operating, it's where I felt most like a team when I had to do mm. some like medical SHO work as part of my GP training. 
the difference a med reg would make who was interested and just fostered that, okay, we're together for 12 hours today. This is the group of us. We just, we have to get through everything and would each making sure that people would manage to get a break, go for coffee, go for lunch. And it was just that looking out for, like I say, not just for the patients, but for your colleagues as well. But that was a really good thread. And I miss my days of being a neurosurgery reg and because I feel like they were terrifying. But I also do love having that responsibility as well. And it, it means I feel like, oh, my God, people are trusting me. And you start to yeah, think of your own management plans and what to do. And like I say, you still have a bit of a safety net of, of a consultant behind you, whether they're mm. on site or not. But I did, for me, that responsibility just meant that I felt like I had a little bit more control as well, which, again, is something that I just feel like I work better on. I guess maybe there's something about me just liking to feel like I I have a role or that I'm important because it just makes you feel like you're you're contributing something. Yeah. Isn't that why we all did this, to feel that way? But I guess is that mixture of making decisions where you feel like you're making a difference feeling that way but also not feeling like you're completely out of your depth and you're making you're going out on a limb perhaps in a way that you could potentially be dangerous right so do what yeah, you want to yeah. do it and you want to do it well and you want to know that you've got like backup and stuff which you end up in like hot water yeah. i think the thing was i think it was nice i definitely is like a different to what you tend to see on social media which is i have to different to my experience of being a medridge which i found i, I really didn't like I felt like being a medridge was chaotic and I didn't feel like you had that much control. I do think, yeah, I definitely, when I was medridge on call, I did find that I felt like I was better when the shifts were horrible, but that was because I felt like I could be like a kind of military. I took a siege mentality, took my SHOs and one, and I was very much, we're in this together. This is a war. Literally, that's how I took it. And I remember one of... The F1's coming. One of the things that you said always, I, I hate pointless stuff. And I find that when your back's up against the wall, that stuff gets disregarded quite quickly. And I remember a particularly busy weekend on call and probably getting to about three or four o'clock one weekend and realizing that I hadn't seen the F1 in a really long time. And it was just oh, because they're just getting completely batter, battered and whatever. I'm learning from that. And so that subsequent like weekends on call, like making sure that I'd take the F1 and make them eat whilst I went through the blood folder, whereas essentially like, no, none of this is important. No. And I remember seeing him later on and him like talking about how that was leadership and not really realizing that was what I was doing at the time, but just being like, I need to see where you are. I need to see you eat. Yeah. And I need to stop you from doing this rubbish. Yeah. That's so caring and compassionate. And I think like, I just think back to when I was an F1, how like, how groundbreaking an experience like that would be and I feel like those interactions that we have where as in medicine we have many interactions with people who we think I don't want to be that doctor I'd, I will never be like that and it's good in that way because it makes you realize who you don't want to be those types of interactions that you described there it's also I feel like that like fosters something in that person and they'll eventually be the reg and then they'll be looking out for their team and it's that, that like butterfly effect or snowball effect. I don't know, whichever one. Yeah, but they, yeah. they carry that <laughs> yeah. forward kind of thing, isn't it? And I think that's, that's really important groundwork to lay. Yeah, I think so. I do think it was really, is a, is a nice set but because obviously there are two sides to everything and some people obviously really like being red red. But 
at the same time, I do think that's an important role of social media, which is to portray the uglier side. There'll be, I think there's no shortage of people at med school and who'll come to your talk with a consultant who've not been a med reg for 10, 15 years. Who'll say this or that, whatever, and pretend like the med reg is like the king of the hospital and stuff. So there are, I think there is actually no shortage in that setting of people who are willing to make out that it's this amazing thing. So I do think social media has like an important role. And yeah, okay, maybe it's yeah. gone into something else. Who knows? But yeah, it was a nice, like refreshing thread. It's yeah. good to see someone. It was a good thread. And talking about like misconceptions of different specialties as well, Reddit give us another yeah. excellent topic to discuss yeah, on the yeah, podcast. Yeah, so good. And this was, so Molly Ooze actually posted a screenshot of this from, again, <laughs> the doctor's subreddit. But it was essentially a post that was asking whether they should do surgery or anesthesia or radiology and I guess like just a content warning for some incredibly misogynistic shitty takes that are coming up so this person says FY4 here I've always wanted to be a general surgeon or trauma surgeon (laughs) sorry I can't even take this seriously however I'm finding the life to be too much hectic for me and I'm considering other specialties I'm currently thinking of two other specialties to me but I'm not sure if they are the right choice figuring out that maybe surgery isn't for them the other specialty that they were considering was number one anesthetics it has a fair share of procedures and able to work in theater however i find anesthetics to be too backseated in theater i like being the team leader having the authority oh my god i promise this wasn't me writing this after (laughs) what i just said about feeling important anyhow having everyone else looking up to me especially the public Anaesthetists, however, always felt like a girly specialty to me. There is so much wrong with this bloody post. Or yeah. more of a beta guy specialty. Yes, I know they beta I know guy. anesthetics is extremely important. They save lives, they deal with stressful situations, but it does not satisfy the feeling of being the leader of a team or the alpha of the group. It does not yeah. help when there are so yes. many females in anesthetics, sorry, FU, which further causing this stigma. I am worried what my family or friends will think if I suddenly say that I have given up on being a surgeon to just being an anaesthetist. And then after he slated the entire anaesthetics profession, he's decided that his other option is radiology. I love anatomy. I guess I can always do interventional radiology if I want to do some procedures. But the downside is the same. I will not be seen as saving lives. And there is always the stigma of being a nerd if I choose radiology. Yeah, it's just, some oh. people are like, oh, this is obviously a parody. And I think the thing is that, is it obviously a parody? Well, this bearing is, your mind to the amount This is it. Knowing what goes on that bloody subreddit, I genuinely think genuinely. that this is real. What? Because it's just that, again, that an- anonymous, anonymity, anonymousness that allows people to say shit like this. And I just, yeah, I, I just can't, I can generally wouldn't be surprised if that was real i can't say that's a parody because i just like you say knowing what goes on there people have these bloody weird thoughts but a girly specialty not saving lives and i feel like this person's just been watching too much gray's anatomy or er because that's just not normal it's really not normal yeah i just but again it created there were some lovely like replies there, which kind of alluded to the kind of spelling mistakes, the stigmata, like I enjoyed the kind of like so off and more, and you know, people talked about toxic masculinity. And this brought in people, so this was, this clearly had a UK vibe. 
I think it did. Right? I mean, they talked about like, and you had people from across the pond who are coming in. They're like, "Whoa, toxic like masculinity much?" And yeah. they're in. So I guess it works both ways, and it was good to see that across the continents, they also shared our kind of fear and disdain for this peculiar little tirade. Another, like the NPA guy. This is another like unifying moment yeah. for Med Twitter, yeah. isn't it? Cross specialty MDT, yeah, yeah, all in. There was a tweet from Shivani Misra who said. Um, after I proposed the motion of a debate, my opponent came to the stage and the first comment made was, it's good to see her so emotional on the topic. Oh, it upset many people and many women in the audience. May my opponent later apologize. But what is this obsession with having to label us? Butch. Oh, she said one of two. What was two? Gosh. Uh, if you're not supremely confident, it's always she needs to step up and have her voice heard. If you are confident, passionate and articulate, it's she's quite emotional or she's quite feisty. Why can't we just be unlabeled? And the funny thing is that I saw a tweet like this the other day where someone had just written a reply to one of my tweets and someone said, I've obviously offended you. And I remember being like, what? Where's that come from? And I'm like, why did you say that? Why would you assume? And I think I'd like replied to another one and they were like, why are you? And they were just clearly just being a troll and trying yeah, to be oh, okay. and, and it does make me think when people say stuff like this, see, emotional, I feel like Either they're supremely dumb, and maybe that's it. Maybe they're just really stupid, or they know exactly what they're doing. Which one is it? Yeah, it's yeah, but it, and it fits to what I think we mentioned on a, a couple of episodes back. A tweet that Rosie Barua wrote about kind of confidence and how that's viewed between mm. men and women in terms of being intensive care um, doctors. And it is that, it's like that language, I feel like by describing someone, by describing a female colleague as emotional, it's also that same type of language of hysterical, hysteria, overreacting. And not so much when it comes to work or medicine or clinical stuff, but sometimes I get described as being oversensitive. Whereas in my mind, that's me just being very fixed on wanting justice and debating. And if I see or hear someone say, something or do something that just doesn't fit with what I think is just or is morally right then I bring it up and then people say oh you're really touchy you're really oversensitive and you would not say that to a man if a man did the same you would not be having this conversation but because I'm a woman yeah. it's suddenly got that emotional sensitivity like overlay on it but I think if I was Shivani in that audience I would have snapped that man's neck I know that's quite brutal but <laughs> I just no, think it's enough. just so derogatory to be described that way in front of everyone mm. as well. Yeah. Now, the thing is that I think we could all agree that's a stupid thing to say. But I think the thing is that I think the problem in that situation is whatever response you make will be framed as oh, absolutely. confirming it. It will be so an extension we, of that 100%. Exactly. They'll be like, yeah. oh, that's like evidence of that. Yeah. So I feel like there has to be like an answer. There has to be an answer that kind of cuts through it. And then basically holds a mirror up to that person. Either or just flip them the bird equally as effective. <laughs> no, but then they'll say it's emotional. But somebody said something along the lines of when someone says something that you think is going to be provo provocative, you could just ask them, why yeah. would you say that? Yeah, yeah, ask them to explain it. Same, yeah. likewise, if someone makes a joke that you think is quite sexist or racist or derogatory in whatever sense, it's just so key not to laugh and engage with that in terms of the reaction that they want, but to instead just deadpan. Oh, sorry, I don't understand. Can you explain that further? 
because people start getting their backs up then and they realize they start like backpedaling and it's entertaining to watch because I'm, I'm sorry I'm like this is revenge like this is <laughs> this, you give us you give us because you got thing but yeah yeah fair enough I think that that use of that term in that situation was to undermine right? yeah, I think Crystal like yeah. and Scott did a tweet so at DOB86 he said for years my GMC survey said I don't experience bullying at work which is at odds with so many others experience of training I put this down to cishet white male privilege correct Looking back, also seeing I didn't recognize bullying behaviors as bullying. Thanks, thanks, weird brain wall. This comes from a junior colleague who told me about their experience of perceiving bullying. And I thought, that's not acceptable. And also, that happened to me at that stage. Yeah. And somebody asked, went on to ask the question, which is nice. Are you able to share any examples? And she said, veiled ARCP threats for raising training or patient safety concerns. Expectations that your work inside contracted hour and negative treatment with list allocations if you don't, and generally getting ripped in theatre. Yeah, fair enough. But I think like this struck a chord with me because I think there is that sometimes that disconnect of hearing it from another person, a colleague that you work with, and they describe a situation and, and you've been utterly disgusted with that and yep, that should never have happened. But then yeah. also realizing that happened to you, like Scott has said. And for me, when I left neurosurgery and it was a big thing that I realized that I was treated very unfairly, there was sexual harassment and there was definite bullying as well. But it's taken me years from leaving. So I left neurosurgery about two years ago, two and a half years ago now. And it took me a lot, that amount of time and therapy to actually start connecting with that experience and realizing that what went on at the time was sexual harassment, was bullying and was being treated unfairly. Because when you're in it, and I guess this is what Scott's insinuating. So when he was a trainee before he became a consultant, when you're in it, you're like, oh, this is just what happens. It's part of the it's part of the training. It's an initiation into being a surgeon or whatever. But then it's only when you're out of it, I feel like that's what I've learned, that people can actually connect with it because it's easy to have these kind of more normal, objective thoughts when it's about someone else and not yourself. Yeah. Like we all have that tendency to be so critical to ourselves Whereas it's so much easier to be compassionate to other people. So I guess it's similar then when you're out of that situation, you start developing that compassion to yourself that was in that situation at the time. And you think, bloody hell, that was yeah. really not on. And I think it's hard because at the time you don't, you just don't realize that that's bullying behavior. And I think that's the benefit of hindsight and life experience for me now, because I have very much, I'm in my last rotation now of my GP training. I'm in GP now, I'm, I'm finished with hospitals. And I've only been there two or three weeks and I've been trying to get to know the practice team. And there was a bit of a suggestion that one of my colleagues might be a bit difficult and might try and put me in my place and things like this. And I just thought, no, that's happened to me before. That is bullying. If it was uncalled for, that is bullying. So I'm just going to be very honest now and say, if that happens, then this will be going further. And it's that connecting with it and appreciating it for what it is rather than just thinking this is just part of my training i have to shut up and put yeah. up with it we deserve better than that yeah that's gross how so is it like obviously you had to do a lot of reflecting and thinking before you left neurosurgery do you think that kind of plays into where you are, are now in terms of what you find because i guess part of that would have been what you deem acceptable to tolerate within 
your work environment and you know what your kind of comfort levels and things are do you think that's part of it or do you think it's simply the experience of being adopted for that period of time and just seeing it in a different sphere that made you more able to recognize that I think it's definitely both as well as age just being like mid-30s and having just like much less of a tolerance for stuff and also I think yeah I guess it comes with experience and time and age as well but slightly different in the way that from kind of social media or connecting with other people who have been from similar backgrounds or who have left training numbers and things like that and joining with them in terms of sharing experiences and realizing that this stuff is happening everywhere which it really shouldn't be but then that allows you to appreciate that it's really not called for and I think Mm. for me there are multiple reasons why my tolerance level and probably my filter has just gone and it's and I was trying to think the other day is it because I have more self-respect now and ironically I don't think it is like I feel like I have less self-respect for various reasons (laughs) yeah exactly I'll take that I'll take that it's a byproduct of that like I'll take it but I think it's more so that the fact that I've just hit that point in my life where I was just literally beaten down I was nothing yeah it just completely burnt me out and it was the worst place I've ever been in my life And I thought, no one gets to do that to me again. No one does. So any hint of that, whereas it's not so much self-respect, it's more the fact that I'm like, I've not got time for this shit. It does, I guess it seems to work in my favor. And it's hard because I feel like I am lucky that I've had that experience and that time behind me to know what is right and what is wrong and that I can challenge people because not everyone has that. And it's much, much more different, difficult if you're obviously... With, of an ethnic minority, a female, like it is going to make that more dif- difficult. But I think I just am lucky that I have that benefit of being in that position again and just knowing that I cannot let myself get there ever again. Yeah, well, good on you for standing up for yourself. How do you feel that was received now in retrospect? People, were, I think if, when, for this particular occasion with, with my yeah. current job, I think people were like a bit taken aback because I'm quite... Yeah. Like, I feel like I'm very easygoing, like I'm all in, especially in work and I'm getting to know teams. I'm just like very keen to get to know people, but I'm also just, I'll just go with the flow kind of thing whilst I just figure out like the practice rhythms and the rhythms of the job and things. And I just, I don't think people expected it that when I responded and said, I'm, I'm going to tell you now, if that happens, like essentially it's going to be hell to pay and I'm, this will be taken further and, and I'm not standing for that if I think it's uncalled for. And then even though I think people were taken aback, they were a bit like, oh, actually fair enough, like. We will support you if this does happen. Just come to us. So I'm like, okay. Oh, okay. Like, I'm not being irrational. And I think you're yeah. probably a bit surprised that I'm very much, don't push your luck, just don't try this with me. And maybe that fostered some respect. I don't know. But I appreciated mm. that they said, if it happens, we'll support you or whatever. But I just yeah. think it shouldn't have even, this should not even have yeah. to be a discussion anyway. Like, we should all just True. be respectful and be kind, yeah. hashtag. So. Yeah. There's simply like warning people. This person's like, yeah, by the way, asshole, like, yeah, yeah, you should ring alarm bells, but yeah, yeah. okay, totally. good, good luck know, with that. You... <laughs> yeah, exactly. I will report I like... back, yeah, yeah. Although I like the outcome, I'm sorry that you had to come to it in that way, but you know, oh, no, it's like... for the same, good on it's you the same outcome, up. same outcome. A tweet from Sil Lee, who again said the gold mine that is Doctors UK. So oh my gosh, another one, was... yes, yeah, yeah. So, have I made a mistake? Was the title of the post. Phil Lee was quoting this. He said, so in the post, it says, I saw a patient recently who had a contact dermatitis rash. When discussing with my senior, they asked if I checked X and Y. I didn't, but said yes. 
and mentioned that there were no concerns at the time, but went to check them after the call. If there were issues, I had called and let them know of the changes, but there wasn't. Is this a serious mistake? So essentially they're asking, they say, I lied by by saying that I did stuff that I didn't, but then checked the things that I hadn't checked the first time around and found that I ha- the lie happened to be correct anyway. So is this serious? And Philly said, yes, you have made a serious mistake. Never make things up. Never lie. The consequences will one day find you out. And I get that. And I do think it's interesting that this person came to the internet to ask because I'm a bit, yeah. I'm thinking like, oh, maybe there's some gross there in that they're thinking they're so guilty about it because they didn't get found out. Yeah. And I, and I, but I guess as well, like it's quite telling, it's quite sad that that they felt that there was a, d- a debate to be had about this. The fact that they asked this as a question, there must have been a part of them that thought that somebody would say, no, actually, that's fine. You're okay. Yeah, Otherwise, true. they would never have, they would have just repented their sins or whatever. But it's, and, and I know, I feel, I don't want to say it's only contact dermatitis in this situation, but I feel like that's quite a slippery slope to start yourself on, isn't it? That lying and yeah. I just don't know how that would serve you or the patient. I just think, yeah, that's, there's yeah. only one way that kind of behavior would go. Yeah. I think the problem, you can look at it two ways. Like one, there's obviously the kind of the element of lying and getting it wrong. There's a risk you can get found out. There's obviously that. And so that in itself is not worth it. It's not worth the stress. If the alternative is someone giving you a hard time because you didn't ask about those things, it's better to take that than to get busted for lying, simply put. And then secondly, it's not worth lying because you're still thinking about it afterwards and you're doing posts on Reddit and stuff after. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. you're still thinking about it. Whereas if you hadn't have done, and if you'd have been honest, and like, no, I didn't do it, and I brought it to you then or whatever, and then you went and did it, and then it'd be done. It's finished. You've gone at home and you wouldn't be thinking about it anymore. But this way, you're still thinking about it and you're talking about it on social. So in purely from a, in like your own sanity's perspective, just be upfront. Sorry, didn't ask about it or whatever. And whatever, like, if you adopt the position that there's um, nothing, when people give you a hard time about forgetting, forgetting to ask for stuff or whatever, it's a learning experience or whatever, then they can't really take anything from you. Because mm. if you just, if you have, there's a perspective I take. But it was an interesting one. It was interesting. Mm. As you said, I hadn't really thought about it when you said, Oh, they, they might be hoping that people will say that's okay. I hadn't even really, hadn't yeah, even like, really crossed my mind. Ask, why would you ask a yeah, question if there's more that? than True. one answer? You don't, if there's only one answer of this is wrong, then there is no question to ask. But True. if there is another answer, and then hoping, hoping for some validation. Yeah, it's yeah. strange. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah, don't do, do like, it again. If you don't mind. Yeah. Don't do it again, man. Don't bother. It's not yeah. worth it. It's not like this is worth it. The next one. Oh, so you linked this one from oh Dunkers. I love this. So. This, like, I don't know, I know, so there's lots of, like, medications, isn't it, in healthcare that we all say in, in slightly different ways, but Duncan McGregor was doing a quote tweet about this original tweet that just proper tickled me. So this was, the original tweet was by at Fatima uh, underscore medic, who said, this is embarrassing, but when I started FY1, I thought Fundaparanax was a French word, so for a whole month, <laughs> I was pronouncing it as Fundaparanu. And I just thought it was, I just thought, oh, someone has let you go a whole month before they've said, what medication is that? But it made me think about how we like pronounce different things. And when I moved to Liverpool from Wales 10 years ago, 
and obviously like the Scouse. Like for me, so people didn't understand that I was speaking English very fast with a thick Welsh accent, which I've obviously now toned down quite a lot. <laughs> As in likewise, some people with very thick Scouse accents, I thought, what language is that? But there was one medication in particular that I just loved how Scouse people like pronounced, which was amiodarone. And it was just the way like, I used to roll off the tongue, like amiodarone. And I just used to, like, I used to <laughs> love it. And it just got me thinking about, I know people say like clopidogrel and cloppy doggrel. Someone here said, it took me 13 years to, and I only found out last year that it's not flu cloxacillin. I was like, how else do you say that? What is it? Then? I don't know. I only know the one way to say it. Yeah. It's flu cloxacillin. Yeah. I like to, and there's other medications that I like to ra- add random or remove random R's in, propranolol or propanolol and things yeah. like that. But yeah, I don't, do you have any bugbears of the ways people say some medications? We're all said in a French accent, like fond de paranu. I do find it's funny when people say Ticagrolol, because I think lol at the end, like when they go Ticagrolol, oh, I'm like, is, is it Ticagrolol? Is it like it an R? Oh, that sounds legend. way more like majestic and fierce. It does. Whereas when people say Ticagrolol, I'm like, I yeah. literally, my head are gone. Drug, yeah. yeah. Literally. It's, yeah, like I'm automatically declining this cardiology referral because you just cannot say the, the right, right word. Every, single, every yeah. single time. I think I don't think there's any real coincidence that it tends to be a lot of things involved in cardiology that are difficult to pronounce. I feel like that's just like part of cardiologists being trick like for you guys. That, I know. Yeah. Cloppy dog grill. <laughs> no. But uh, yeah, I'm going to. I've just decided at this very point in time that I think from my clinical practice from this point on, it's just all going to be said in a French accent, just because. Oh, when I was a like kid, a actually, I don't know if I told you this, but when I was a kid, you know when people say, "Oh, what do you want to be? What do you want to be when you grow up?" My aspiration as a child, like when I grew up, I wanted to be a French person. I thought I could be born in Wales, but then would develop a career as a French person. Like I was obsessed. Oh, wow. Like professional. Yeah. Like I would make up language that I thought was French and just speak to my parents in it. And they were like, what what, what the F is this? And no one can understand you. It's been about three years. Please speak English. But I just made up this French. I was just obsessed. I don't know what it was. So this yeah. just fits in with that. Like for me, maybe I will be a French person one day. Was this like some awkward teenage phase, was it? Or? It was last week, actually. No, no. <laughs> I was about like six or seven. And my I was oh. like, my parents were like buying me these, oh, my first 100 words in French books because I was just oh. so obsessed. Oh, but I gen- I was an idiot and what? I gen- generally thought I could speak it and that I could be French when think? I grew up. What do you think sparked it off? So I can't remember, but I wonder whether it was that show Tots TV with Tilly, Tom and Tiny oh, and Tilly I was French. Tots, yeah. Tilly, Tom, so yeah, I don't yeah, really yeah, remember what, like, watching it, but I do wonder whether that was like what triggered it off. Sac magique. Something just changed Sac- in my brain that, and then yeah. funnily enough, then when I was an adult, I, I then went to like night school to learn French because I was just oh. determined that I was going to be French one day. Not realising oh I could just marry a French man and get a French passport, probably. Oh, Might be a yeah, bit that easier. would be less simpler. Yeah, uh, fair enough. Yeah, and then just Have use Google Translate for all future relations. True. Yeah, I've downloaded Duolingo, actually, and I'm doing French. Mm-hmm. So you should do that. Can you speak about French now? We should, we should is practice. All... Yeah, so I, yeah. I feel like I would love to get back into it, and I feel like my Spanish is probably quite similar. And I love languages, so that I need to uh, need to get into that. But maybe let's do a podcast in French one day, Trisha. Oh, gosh. Like the way Joey speaks French on Friends. That was what my French language was. <laughs> no, 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 fair enough. Oh, my gosh. So there was a tweet. Oh, there's a tweet from Keode, which is about the FYs. When yeah. you get people who like FY3 and then the FY3, yeah, but then you get people that are talking about like FY4. And then some people are like FY6. 
Yeah, what does that mean? Surely you're just SAS or specialist or specialty doctor. I think like beyond F3, I think it's lost all meaning. Yeah, so F3 is taken as a kind of thought to be like a formative year algebra program Mm. or doing something, going a bit off piste, whatever. But beyond that, you're no longer. It's it's like when you ask a parent, oh, how old is your child? And they're like, oh, he's 37 months now. And then I'm trying to do like all the maths in my head of like, what does this mean? Just Uh, say he's three years old. It's fine. Yeah. Oh, he's an FY37. Oh, oh my God. I'm so conscious of that. I'm so conscious Oh my gosh, do you do that with you? I definitely don't. I definitely don't. I like, but the thing is that I remember as as a, when people would ask me how old the kids were, yeah. And consciously being like aware that the I might get judged. Zero and ten. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, literally. So I'd be like mathematically like where so up until about a year, I was definitely like a year like for both of them I'd be like their months. But as soon as they hit the year, they were one, two, three, four because I was like, yeah. I'm not gonna be accused of that. Yeah, that's but yeah, it's a good egg. We appreciate I that. <laughs> oh, that. Yeah. It's actually so it's Erin's birthday next week and I was asking him like oh. what do you want to do and stuff. And I was like, do you know how old you're going to be? And he's five, six, seven, eight. And I was like, no, you're going to be three. Uh, yeah, seven bit of steps from an early age yeah. there. Yeah. yeah. He has that vibe. He has that vibe. Excellent. I was like, oh, do you want to have a party? And he's like, yes, we'll invite the girls. And I was like, okay. oh, a little heartbreaker. Um, I don't know. I think he wants to be one of them, though. He is a bit like, yeah. oh, like Lily and it is cool his cousin. Being a girl. Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah, I guess. I'm a bit like, oh, okay, fair enough. <laughs> it is. And I was like, oh, so what do you, but. So all we really know that all he seems to want is like a rainbow cake and oh, girls to come. Dude. So that should be interesting. Wait, anyway. Is it like a little mini pimp with his bitches or his birthday He is, party? isn't he? Girl. Yeah, so get him like a he's, giant fur yeah, coat. Yeah, a huge like medallion as well. I can just totally yeah, see yeah, this yeah. now. He would rock that, actually. Yeah, he would rock. Thing. He's beautiful. Yeah. He would rock anything. Yeah. yeah. Bless him. Thanks. Yeah. But yeah, happy so, future birthday. Yeah, I'll put that. I'll put that on you. There was. Oh my god. There was a tweet though. There was a tweet this week about like this is completely unrelated. I've decided that we're moving on from medical stuff now. But (laughs) just FYI, everything's gone. Yeah, everything's been deleted. But there was a tweet this week about I think someone asked like their kid like what theme do they want for their birthday party and they said I'm I'm thinking thinking about when we let our six year old choose her birthday party theme and she chose vampire shark luau. And honestly, oh it slapped. God. I was like, that is, that is three wow. amazing things. Like vampire sharks and Hawaiian luau's. I'm on board with that. That's good yeah. parenting as well for someone to come up with that. Yeah. yeah. I feel like it's a bit sad. Like I saw like this um, video on TikTok the other day where this guy was talking about birthday parties once you have kids and how you have to incorporate the kids into your plan. And therefore, like a 40th birthday or whatever isn't really any fun because it's mm. with the children. So like, well, what can you really do with kids? And I was like, oh, because and that just, this kind of conversation does make me think it's sad that we don't get to have themed birthdays anymore. It makes yeah, you feel depressed. It is. Did you have um, any iconic birthday parties when you were younger? Not really, actually. Or yeah, not that I can same. think of. I think this, I really wanted a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles themed birthday. And it just never happened. Like mm. my mom, I think I wanted like a t- uh, turtle's birthday cake, but my mom would always do it every year. She'd make the same because I think she could only bake one kind of cake. But <laughs> yeah. she's like a fairy cake. They'd always be fairy oh. cakes. I hate fairy cakes now. Yeah, because I'm like it's Over- overload. Yeah, literally just like fairy cake with like what I like white icing. And yeah, 
And I wanted a turtles themed one. How about yourself? Did you have any themed ones? Right? I go through like phases with my birthdays. Like, I don't like my, I like celebrating other people's birthdays, but I don't quite like right. c- celebrating my own. And I think there's one reason which I'll explain why, but I think the bir- the best birthday party for me was when my parents, we lived in like a terrace house. We had quite a small back garden. And my parents hired this like full size bouncy castle to go in the oh, back garden. Cool. And I'm like, no word of a lie. It filled every inch of space. There was no, you would leave my, the back door and you'd be on the, the gangway for the bouncy castle. And it filled between the entire <laughs> walls. And my parents were doing this thing. So we would all jump on it. Like me and my brother and all our friends would jump on. And then my parents would turn the electric off and the bouncy castle would deflate. It would deflate. Whilst we were right. all on it. And they'd turn it back on and it would all rise. And we'd all be like, <laughs> But my brother yeah. bounced so hard on it that he bounced over the wall and into next to us. Oh my God. <laughs> I just remember him crying and being like, Damn. Aaron, Aaron's ended up next door and he had to knock the door and ask if he could get his son back. He was like, Sorry, my son's in your garden. <laughs> Like a football. Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. my neighbour, Mrs. Morgan, my was child. like, what? But yeah, that was, a, he had to retrieve him. I was like, yeah, but he was That's fine. So but I had this really like traumatising, oh gosh, I can't believe I'm telling you this. I'm so embarrassed. But yeah. when I was 10, my, my parents hired like this working men's hall or club, like dance, like this function room in a social club or whatever. And they hired a right. DJ and we had all invitations made for my 10th birthday. And I was going to invite all my classmates. And <laughs> So turned up to the function hall and the DJ didn't turn up. And then about 95% oh, no. of my classmates didn't turn up either. And oh. it was just like nobody, it was just as it, it was like one of those, like, you're just so embarrassing. And I just remember it so vividly oh, that gosh. it was just like, it, I think 10 can be like that quite of a rough age where you're starting to yeah. want to be cool and stuff. Yeah. So we just literally went, got home, just got all my steps and Aqua CDs and whatever else was available. And we just made our own little party. But my, one of my friends who did turn up, like she was like the entertainment and she would, she just did this little like comedy act where she just burped the entire alphabet. And it was just like, oh, wow. it was such an iconic, like I feel like it, it turned out to be an amazing party because I have that memory. But I remember being so gutted, like that not even the DJ that we paid turned up for my own bloody birthday yeah. party. Bring back the bouncy castles, man. Life was yeah. much simpler then. You this like is why ter- I'm in therapy now. This is one of the many reasons why I'm in <laughs> therapy. But that person who burnt the alphabet, like what a show, what a, that, like that gems, aren't they? Totally. And she got, she was like 10 years old. And I just remember her asking for like lemonade so she could get like the burp going. And then <laughs> she just stood on this, on this stage with this microphone going, <laughs> all the parents were like in hysterics. It was so random. I don't know why it's we so thought really... she should do that. And then I obviously sang Mr. Jones by Aqua as like my karaoke you song. Ch- oh next. my God, uh, the song that you chose Do you know Mr. what? Jones. Like I couldn't compare with the birthing alphabet routines. Yeah, yeah. that's pretty. It was a tough I mean, act a to follow. Act to... It really was. Yeah, it really was. Yeah, fair enough. You, just, you don't know what you know now. Otherwise, you know, oh, you'd gosh, have been better yeah. prepared. Totally. Oh, yeah. something. Gosh. This is really unrelated, but I've just seen this tweet that I wanted to link in. And I, I yeah. know we're probably coming up to time, but this, this twisted me sideways. This was about booths not offering discounts on the morning after pill so this was a tweet on the 21st of november by rebecca reed which is at rebecca cn reed reid and she was quote tweeted tweeting martin lewis and she said it's so funny now booths refuse to allow advantage points on the morning after pill and commented in 2017 that they priced it high to discourage frequent usage 
but apparently Viagra gets a 15% discount. So the, the quote tweet that she was quoting from um, Martin Lewis, who was obviously the money-saving expert, was an email that he had received from Booth's and it said that they just wanted to mention to him that on his show last week, when Martin was talking about Booth's having some great Black Friday deals, he said, obviously, you won't get any discounts on Viagra. But funnily enough, we do actually have a Viagra Black Friday deal available online and it's 15% off. So it just... That huge juxtaposition between, oh, Viagra's available over the counter now, but it's on a Black Friday deal. The morning after pill is also available, but you can't get your advantage points on it and neither can you get a discount. And I just thought, how, like, how effed up is that? Can I, there's a reply. No, whatever you're going to say, I disagree. (laughs) This is a reply, which is amazing. He goes, so this is by Ian Wickham. He says, do we really want girls refusing protection? For a 27p discount on CKB. Casual sex epidemics during double points events. Please try to think things through. Get a lot. Now, um, I can't move on from that. That's just, that's yeah. got to be a joke, right? That's got to be a joke. Yeah. Actually, I don't know. Is there some men I that think know. like this? I'm going to reply saying, checkmate. <laughs> yeah, you proved um, your point. Praying, yeah. No I would pay, yeah, I'd pay extra not to have his baby. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Wow, so we are at time. Where do we go from there? Uh, there is no one else I to know. go. Stop, I don't know. Sorry about that. Yeah. Sorry about that. No, that was good. That was a nice end. Black Friday and all that. Yeah, oh yeah, um, get your deal. Oh yes, tomorrow, isn't okay. it? Of course, yeah. Oh yeah, it is. And is that, so is that payday? Is it payday tomorrow? I get I paid on the 28th, which I think is next week, actually. Oh, my gosh. Oh, so I had this really frustrating phone call today from HR. So isn't it ironic that you can never get in touch with HR when you need to? But when they need to get in touch with you, suddenly oh you're mm. available. You're able to speak to someone over the phone, which is what I always beg for. But I always get the response yeah. from the HR help desk that everyone's working from home, so we can't put you in touch. But funnily yeah. enough, when they've overpaid me £430... And yeah, they want the money back. On your door. All of a sudden, they're on the phone. Yeah, yeah, so Black Friday for me is off. So I'm a bit bummed, actually, because obviously Thanksgiving today, I was meant to be in the States with my brother, who now lives in the, in the States with his family, and we were meant to go out there. But obviously, Noodle and her vet bills had different ideas. And also, this is just a, a, an extra kick in the teeth. But yeah, go someone else go and enjoy those Black Friday deals on my behalf. Maybe Viagra, oh, well. whatever you want whatever <laughs> i'm so broke but i need to buy a christmas present so i'm like where's payday where's payday because i need to get those oh, presents sugar, oh, yeah. it's that time christmas, of year now yeah although yeah i have decorated put my christmas decks up but i, I know that's good presents i think i'm gonna be like oh let's just let's just play it easy play it down this year yeah, materialistic yeah. let's just yeah. spend time with each other that's the best gift ever yeah, yeah spend time go, together go, yeah that's free man i'm gonna go with that vibe yeah, yeah, yeah. fair enough i agree totally yeah. with you on that cool Thanks again. The time flew by, I have to say. Yeah, and, um, always does. They're always We've got right? about 40 more tweets left on this document, so we should do like an addendum episode. <laughs> yeah, we need to, don't we? We need to compile yeah. them and maybe do like a Christmas special edition or that's something. That's true, yeah. That's a good maybe one. we will. Maybe we'll get him around it. Maybe, who knows? You watch the space or not. You know, Who's that again? Only joke. I know, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for listening and speak to you next week. Yeah. Happy Thanksgiving, I think. Yeah. Happy Thanksgiving. Look after yeah. yourselves. Bye, everyone. Bye, bye-bye. Bye.